podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. Here we are in Series 5. What are we talking about today, Jane? So Series 5 has been all about uh, the individual, and it's all about uh, understanding yourself and developing yourself. Cool. Uh, So we had our first episode, which was about happiness, which I really enjoyed. Uh, And I think it's a really interesting uh, series. We've had lots of feedback around the episodes where we've helped people understand themselves a little bit better. They tend to be the episodes that we get most downloaded. Um, And so we really wanted to look at how we could examine a couple of things. So we're looking at things like self-awareness, self-regulation. We're covering a bit of stuff around procrastination and personal effectiveness, (laughs) which is particularly ironic given we're sitting here in my kitchen and I have a task list I haven't finished and I should have done. Uh, so yeah, so I think there's lots of things and today we're talking about self-awareness. Yeah, that's right. We're going to look at what self-awareness is, why it's important, some hints and tips around how you can develop it and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a good subject, isn't it? I mean, it's an important thing. Yeah, it is. And I think, I, I think we've talked about how much we end up talking about self-awareness in coaching and mentoring sessions that we run or in workshops that we run, or indeed like I end up talking about quite a lot with people that I work with that I'm supporting. Yeah. Management development, leadership development, coaching. I mean, it comes up in so many different places. And let's not forget the Corn Ferry survey that I'm obsessed with when we did an episode on coaching, which we looked at some research that showed that, uh, amongst 200 uh, executive coaches in America, the most common thing for, uh, C-suite people to be searching for support one was around self-awareness yeah that's really interesting isn't it that's, i I'm cannot sure. get yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. one of the reasons we're doing this episode because yeah. after that we had a whole conversation about well if it matters to them yeah. doesn't it matter to everyone you know maybe we should redo a survey like that of our own at some point we want to do stuff we maybe we should try and do a survey like that and see what the coaches that we know are, are focusing on with their leaders i think that's a really good idea that'll be really fun i want to do that Yep. Okay. We'll add it to the to-do we list. Find, we have to find 200 coaches. Yep. We'll add it to the to-do list and then we can procrastinate about it. I think that's a, a good thing to do. No, James, <laughs> don't add to my procrastination <laughs> list. All right. Um, so that's what we're talking about today. It's quite an exciting topic. Before we get into that, let's do some usual stuff. Uh, getting in touch with us. What's the best way to get in touch with us? Oh, you know the best way I to do, get in touch with us. I it's do. always on Twitter at The Wild Podcast. Um, but we also have uh, what is no longer our new website, but I feel like it's still new, which yeah. is www worldofwork.io and as always we're on all the other social so LinkedIn Facebook Instagram you can get in touch with us in all of those places as well yeah that's good we're we're up to speed with that we you know we get back to people reply all the time so um, it's kind of nice to do that we enjoy yeah and we do about once every couple of weeks we do a poll on Twitter as well which is quite entertaining they're usually a little bit light-hearted um, although occasionally we go highbrow. Yeah, well... We had, we had one on Shakespeare the other day, and went accidentally highbrow, which confused everyone. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's us. So today we're going to do the usual run-through for the episodes that we do. We're going to do a definition discussion up front, a bit of a research roundup after that, then have a list of a week, some tales from a keyboard, some top tips and final thoughts, and then we'll be checking out and saying goodbye and getting on with the rest of the episodes in this, uh, in this series. Um, so that's us, isn't it? So um, how have you been? What have you been up to? 
I can't remember. Isn't that awful? Oh, you were a bit poorly, weren't you? I was a bit poorly, and that feels like a long time ago, even though I only really felt better yesterday. Um, and also, I feel like a total con merchant. Oh, right. Why like a fake, a phony, because I wasn't really ill, but I feel like I had the before and the after of the illness. Oh, I see. So I feel yeah. like I was coming down with something, mm-hmm. and then I was ill for what, one night. Yeah. And then, but I took like three days to recover. So I feel like a total phony. Everyone's like, well, you weren't ill. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. felt really awful <laughs> for one day. I know, but where were the symptoms? And now I'm just really tired. That's funny. Uh, so I, but I have to say, I'm going to just call it out. We're recording this on the second day of what I think might finally be summer in Edinburgh. Yes. So we've had rubbish weather yeah, yeah, yeah. for months. And I've gone outside yesterday and it was I had to put my short t-shirt on. I was yeah. so excited. I know. And summer's set to stay for like the next two or three days. <laughs> Do you realize how sad we sound for the rest yeah. of the world? Know, Everyone else in the world. Can we just remind everyone we are on the same... Uh, latitude. Uh, latitude. Uh, on the globe as like Moscow yeah, exactly. and like we are way north we're, we're like central way more Canada. north than people think <laughs> yeah, Edinburgh yeah. Scotland is really cold yeah uh, so it, there is currently sunshine streaming in through my kitchen window as we sit here um, and I've already been up a big hill this morning yeah. so I'm pretty happy lovely cool well the only big thing that's happened since the last time we spoke um, was we went down to Carlisle at the weekend stayed there and went for a lovely run on the um, on the west coast was really nice so that was a, a big exciting trip and the weather was lovely the whole time yeah. so lovely. just just for those of you who don't run like me when james says lovely run he means half marathon and when he says oh a bit more stretching he tends to mean marathon <laughs> well, we'll <see>. whereas whereas <laughs> in this household a lovely run is like maybe three kilometers yeah it was so great we're in we're in admiration of you doing that oh well, thank you it's um it's a, something i really enjoy doing so Cool. All right. Well, let us jump into the episode. Do you want to take us through some definitions, Jen? I absolutely do. So uh, for this episode, we thought the four words that would be most useful at looking at our terminology is self-awareness, mindfulness, self-reflection, and observations. Uh, And I'll explain a little bit why on a couple of those in a minute. But starting with the one that we've actually said that we're focusing on for the uh, episode this week, it's self-awareness. And we've taken the Collins definition here the quality of being conscious of one's own feelings character etc and i really like this one because it's straightforward it's simple and it's it, it says what it does on the tin as my mother would say um it is a quality and it is a quality you have to work on and it is something that you have to exercise and uh ultimately awareness itself doesn't do anything because Ultimately, you can be aware of what you're doing, but you still need to take action. So that's why self-awareness is only one part of the jigsaw, albeit a really important part. Uh, The second one we've got is self-reflection, which goes hand in hand, and it's the activity of thinking about your own feelings and behavior and the reasons that may lie behind them. Ultimately, you require self-reflection in order to build some level of self-awareness. Yeah, totally. They go together, right? Um, And you don't just suddenly snap your fingers one day and wake up being become self-aware. Is uh, that you snapping your yeah, fingers? Yeah, I can do better. Uh, you know, I can't my remember. journey to self-awareness was dec. What well, is? Well, firstly, it's it still ongoing. got ongoing. Yeah, but there was there was a there was a couple of decades where it took me to figure some stuff out. Um, and then we have mindfulness, which we've put in here because I think um, it's a really useful term. And I know mindfulness has been 
rising in popularity, there's lots of training and group sessions and books and they're all great. But I think it is really important to just clarify what mindfulness is for the terms of what we're talking about, because it can sometimes become synonymous with relaxation classes and um, people sometimes think it's about clearing the mind. And it's really not. uh, So Psychology Today refer to it as the self-regulation of attention with the attitude, with an attitude of curiosity, openness, and acceptance. And what they're really saying here, I think, is people who uh, are being mindful at that moment are regulating their attention. So they are choosing what to focus their mind on and what to allow in and out of their mind. And it's not about having a blank mind. So there's loads of books like Mindful Coffee Making, I think, and Mindful. You said, I think you said when we were talking about it before, that it was probably mindful orange eating. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. mindful knitting. And mindful like colouring in. Yes, Isn't there, like, all yes. That? Like, mindful Mar- the mindfulness colouring yeah. in book is a big thing. And the point is, it's about uh, focusing your attention onto one task and not allowing the noise in. Yeah. And, and not feeling like that's a stretch. So that's really great mindfulness is when you can choose what you're focusing your attention on. And for me, and I, I, I don't know enough about it to understand the background, but for me... It goes hand in hand with some of the other stuff that we talk around uh, when we talk, for example, about low-level anxiety and things like yeah. that. Um, because that ability to control and regulate what you're thinking about is really helpful. To some, And it's not, not always possible, but where you can exhibit it, it's really helpful. Uh, and then the final one is ob- observations. And um, you need to be really observant to begin to understand yourself because you need to be able to see how people react to you and what other people are doing and how other people are reacting to them. But also, I wanted to call out this definition because um, I don't think we think about observation nearly enough. No, I agree. So, uh, Collins, refer- uh, Collins is having a knockout week. Oh, right. uh, Collins refers to observation as an observation is something that you have learned by seeing or watching something or thinking of- and thinking about it. And I know it sounds like I'm teaching grandma to suck eggs to a lot of people listening to me. Um, today but we have to do this right we have to sit and look and watch and think and listen and think some more because that's what's going to help us build a better understanding of ourselves when we really try and put effort into it and I often think um, it's funny I often think that I never improved my self-awareness more than when I was single for a long period because I was in lots of places where I was silent yeah. And I was in lots of places, like I was in my local coffee shop quite a lot and I was in museums and, and libraries and stuff like that. And I would observe people while I was doing, you know, while I was sitting there and taking a break from reading or whatever, I would watch. And I think I think that's massively shaped me. So I think it's a really great, great call out around observation and understanding the impact and the relationship it has with your own self-awareness. Yeah, I really like that last one as well. I think when, um, when we talk a lot about leadership development or personal development or coaching or, or all... Um, all these sort of broad areas. One of the themes that comes up a lot is the importance of taking some time to step back and think about things. You know, so many of the different tools and techniques that people have fundamentally are about trying to concentrate and pay attention to what it is that you're doing. Um, and I think observation plays a key part in that. So I think that's a really great um, great thing to think about whenever you're looking at developing anything. Um, but it's particularly important when you're looking to develop self-awareness, I would say, as well. Um, so do you like those definitions? They work I do, well I do. I was trying to figure out what other words I'd have in there for this subject, but I'll maybe, I'll maybe think about that and decide at the end of the, end of the podcast. You can come back in later. We can check in yeah, later. I, um, but yes, I do. I like the subject generally, so cool. I'm biased. 
All right. What well, should we do? A bit of a roundup on some research. Tell us what you've yeah what I've rounded done. up in yeah, your yeah. research. I've got the lasso out and done some rounding up of knowledge or something like that. We'll see. Um, sorry about that. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to gloss over that yeah. <laughs> lassoing. Um, okay, so if we start out, then a couple bits that I thought I'd touch on. I'm going to run through. Um, what self-awareness is, uh, we've touched on it a bit, but a little bit more, a little bit about why it matters, um, a little bit around how to develop it, a quick look at the Jahari window, which is a tool that, that people use. Then I want to touch on the importance of narrative and sort of stories within our own lives, which is something I'm not an expert on, but I think is interesting. And then there's a little quote at the end that I think might be um, useful as well. So we'll touch on that. So if we start out about self-awareness, well, what is it? Well, you know, as you said, it's it's sort of knowledge and understanding of, of who we are, right? And it's an understanding of who we are, what we believe, what we value, what motivates us, and, and really having a clarity about all those different things. Now, all those things are shaped um, for us as individuals to some extent by our journey through life, our family, the societies that we live in, our careers and work experience, our peers and our friends, and, and also by the um, identities that we've shaped for ourselves. So this understanding of who we are, what we believe, and what we value, and what we motivate is, is really important. It's, it's really a, a bit of a snapshot as to who we are, and understanding it's a useful thing. When people talk about self-awareness, they sometimes talk about it as being made up of three different things. And those things are the self-image, self-esteem, and the ideal self. So I guess the first is, who do we think we are? How do we imagine ourselves being? Um, that's our self-image. Our self-esteem is the esteem with which we regard ourselves and to some extent the respect that we give ourselves. And then the ideal self is a little bit of um, an insight into where we're trying to get to as people and, and what good looks like for us. So that's a lot of uh, overview of self-awareness. When we think about self-awareness, it's worth thinking about the fact that we're really focusing on the honest underlying person within us, not the way we present ourselves. Sometimes we think about the way that we present ourselves and our tools that do this, but really here we're focusing on who we really are and our awareness of who we really are, um, regardless of how we present ourselves to the world. So why does it matter? Why do we care about self-awareness? Uh, I guess we care for several different reasons, but ultimately because the better our our understanding of ourselves, the better our self-awareness, the more likely it is that we'll be able to fulfill and, and be happy as individuals. Um, and also, the more likely uh, that we'll be able to perform well or, or to the level of what we want and do the things that we want and that actually make us feel more fulfilled and, and effective at what we do. And I guess there are two different streams um, that help us do this that I thought of. The first is that if through your self-awareness you understand the types of things that you value, to some extent your, um, your ideal self and the things that motivate you, things like that, um, if, you, if you have that sense of what you value, then what you can do is you can use that to help make sure that you define goals that are meaningful for yourself and to help ma make sure that you take actions that actually align with the things that you value. And that, of course, leads to more fulfilling outcomes and, and performance and happiness. Um, at the same time, if you're aware about I guess, how you work and how you think and, and the way that you work in different circumstances. And you'll be better at managing yourself in different circumstances and working well with others. Um, and, you know, just having sort of, I guess, better relationships in work and out of work. And, and those factors will, again, support this improved fulfillment and performance. So that's why it matters. Have you got any thoughts on, on why it matters, Jane? Any more than that? Or? Uh, sorry, that was a really big sigh. Oh, it was a bit of a sigh, wasn't it? Far bigger sigh than I meant to give it. I, 
No, I don't. Um, I think you make. I think. I think you've summed it up. Cool. All right. I just thought it was worth checking in. Let's have a look at how do you develop self-awareness then? And I've called out, I guess, five or six different things in here to to think about. And these are ways that people can go about developing self-awareness and and things that everyone can do. Um, And they're not in any real order. This is just a list. You know, people might want to prioritize them in different ways. The first thing that I want to call out, though, is feedback. So if you can get honest feedback from people, be that in work or in your personal life, you know, friends, family, colleagues, bosses, uh, direct reports, whatever it happens to be. Feedback will help you understand how you are, to some extent, perceived by others, what their sense of who you are is, as well as how you behave in different circumstances. And all those things will help you develop your self-awareness. They'll help you um, gain insight into what you actually do, how you actually behave, um, and all that kind of stuff, which is obviously helpful in developing self-awareness. It's not always easy to get feedback or to find feedback, uh, but it's worth doing. Um, Next, I called out a mixture of, I guess, coaching and self-reflection. But really, this is about taking time to assess how you feel, uh, reflecting on different stages of your journey through life and doing things potentially like keeping a journal or meditating or creating a personal vision or, you know, doing some personal values work and stuff like that. It'll help you um, reflect on what's important to you. Um, and that, you know, you can get some insight by doing that and really focusing and, again, stepping back and thinking through things that have had an impact on you and how they've made you feel. Uh, I put coaching in there as well because this is the type of stuff that a coach or mentor could help you with um, in a useful way. Um, then I've called out things like personality assessment and, and a bit more detailed work on personal values. Um, there are lots of, you know, questionnaires out there that will help with personality type uh, work, you know, personality assessment. The best is probably the Big Five or Ocean model, but there are lots of other ones that are out there as well. And these can help provide insights into the way that, I guess, potentially you think and some of your behaviours and emotions. Um, and the same with things like personalities, uh, sorry, personal values assessments. They'll help you prioritise different types of values that could be important for you. Uh, and we've done episodes on those, I think, back in, uh, both in Series 1, we did something on personal values and another episode on personality testing. So it might be worth listening to those. I'd say the emotional intelligence one as well. Yeah, that's true. Emotional intelligence is really helpful for this. Um, And then observing others is a good way to develop your self-awareness. It sounds kind of strange that watching or observing others would help you develop your own self-awareness, but I really think it does. So if you observe the way that others behave, then what you might find is that some of the ways that other people behave and some of the things that motivate them and drive them might really align with you. You might see things and go, oh, that really makes sense to me. And that'll give you an insight into yourself. Or at the same time, you might observe the behaviors or actions of others and find them really discordant or that they make you feel uncomfortable or, or whatever sort of um, negative response like that you experience. And, and that in itself would be very helpful for your personal value assessment as well and for your, your self-awareness. You might think, well, actually, that's really not like me. Those, beha- those behaviors jar with my self-image and with my sense of ideal self. So I don't really want to behave like that. And again, that's an insight into yourself. And then the last thing I wanted to call out around developing self-awareness is life experience in itself. So I said earlier when I talked about what self-awareness is, that things like your life journey contribute to your sense of who you are and that helps you with self-awareness. But for developing uh, self-awareness, doing different things and having different experiences is really powerful. Right? We don't know how we're going to respond to things and how we behave and who we are in different circumstances, sometimes until we've 
been through those circumstances or experienced these things. So broadening your life experiences is a useful way to develop your self-awareness. And this can be all kinds of things, right? I mean, this could be trying new things, doing new activities, challenging yourself. It could even be things like, you know, going to a museum, looking at art, reading something different. All those types of things contribute to your, um, your you know, your opportunity to um, envisage yourself in different situations and environments and respond to new things. And that helps with developing your self-awareness. It's just seeing yourself and, and in a different light and thinking about things in a different way. So those, I guess, were a handful of simple things that we thought could help with developing self-awareness. Have you got any experience of those ones, Jane, or any other thoughts on Yeah, I think, um, I think that they're all... All of them help in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, my advice would be whichever one feels most uncomfortable is probably the one you need to work out. Yeah, that's uh, And I would also say there's two things that I found really useful. One is when I read books or articles, reading other people's comments of them and discussing them with other people before I said how I felt about them mm-hmm. to get a sense of whether my views were the norm were a little bit sort of uh, more empathetic or were less empathetic was I viewing things more from an organizational point of view or a personal point of view um so reading the same material and then finding what people think of it is really helpful whether it's online whether it's talking to people so um and I read a lot Mm -hmm. I read a lot Mm -hmm. um I don't read whole books because I'm really bad at finishing a book Mm -hmm. I used to be (laughs) not fiction this is non-fiction yeah yeah, yeah. in non-fiction I'm really bad at finishing it but I like reading the first three chapters of everything um but I read a lot I read things of uh, people I disagree with quite a lot because I'm trying to understand. That's a great thing to do. Yeah, and I don't find it easy, but it's definitely um, it's definitely helpful. And I would say uh, the other thing around feedback, particularly, is if you make it as as comfortable or as at least not uncomfortable as possible for people to give you feedback, they'll give you much more feedback, and you have to be ready That's for really it. That's really true. And it's really uncomfortable, but if you can start the conversation with. Rather than what did you think, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. so where you want, because you want someone to tell you, right? Yeah. Is to say, this is how I felt about what, how I did today. Would you, did you get a sense, is that inaccurate or did you see it differently? Is often really, really helpful. Because it, uh, particularly if you have some level of criticism in there, it gives people permission to criticize you. Yeah, it gives you're saying to them, "This is how I saw it," and you, you can't be fake about it. it can't be yeah, like, "Oh, yeah. well, you tell me I'm great." It's like you know what? I feel like I probably talked over someone today, and I'm not sure I got to the heart of sort of steering that meeting correctly. So, someone's much more able to say, "Actually, I, I don't get that second point, but I do understand what you're talking about." The first, yeah, yeah. And the more that you can open up the dialogue, the more that you are going to people are going to get used to you being someone who's going to come and seek their feedback. Yeah, and and you should value that feedback as well. If you value it and respond to it and are clear that you're doing it for the purposes of self-awareness and self-development people will be more willing to give it i think that's a really good point yeah and i think i think sometimes it helps with context so if you you know if you if around feedback if you're saying even if it's not even if it's an exaggeration sometimes i will say things like i'm specifically trying to get better at managing meetings Mm -hmm. i might not be i might actually be trying to get better at generally all my comms but sometimes it helps people yeah if i say I'm just specifically thinking about when mm-hmm. I'm in meetings because then they don't like go off on one about yeah. all my bad habits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Focused. But, but uh, you know, and I know we, we go on about it. It's an effort, right? It is, yeah. This stuff is, is an effort mm-hmm. and it takes time and it takes patience and yeah. it takes effort. Yeah. Um, but it's so worthwhile. The payoffs are good. Oh, the payoffs really are, are huge uh, for your own ability to 
do all the other stuff we've talked about, are going to talk about in the series or have. So to be happier, to yeah. be more content, to have better self, uh, personal effectiveness, to have mm-hmm. better self-regulation, to um, manage things when they go wrong better. Mm-hmm. All of these things come from building this self-awareness, which is kind of why we wanted to do it early on. Yeah. You know, we, last week we did happiness and, and the why we should try yeah. and do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about, here's the sort of building block. Yeah, it's one of our first starting points. Yeah. Isn't it? You're not going to get anywhere without this, let's put no, it that way. No, it's key. All right. Well, I'm going to jump on quickly to the Joe Hari window now and just do a quick overview of this. This is the type of thing that you can search um, around on the internet and you'll be able to find examples of this. But we'll just do a high-level overview and hopefully that's helpful for you. A lot of you might have heard of it before, but if that's the case, you can think of it as a recap. So the Johari window, um, it's kind of an interpersonal awareness tool. It's a way to visualize your sense of interpersonal awareness of the accuracy of it. Uh, The name Johari comes from the two people that created this. That's Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham. Uh, You combine their first names and you get a Johari, Johari, which uh, is where the name comes from. So it's called a Johari window. And it's called a, a window because it's basically a two-by-two two matrix, right? We see loads of these. Sometimes they're called Boston matrices or whatever they are. But basically, four boxes like a window. And this window, the Johari window, specifically has got four different panes in it, right? Four different boxes that make up the window. Um, and what it's trying to capture in this sort of visual representation is your understanding and, and yours, I guess, your self-awareness, right? And, and what you do as you complete this Johari window is you complete four different panes. And these different panes draw out how much you kind of know about yourself and how much others know about you. And that's where this interpersonal relation uh, awareness uh, description of what a Johari window is comes from. So if we look at the four panes that are in there, actually, let's look at the axes and then, then the panes. So the vertical axis looks at things about you that are known by others. And you've got things that others know about you and things that others don't know about you. So, you know, the upper box is known by others, the lower box is unknown by others. Then if we look at the horizontal axis, we do the same, but we just look at stuff about ourselves. So here we've got things that are known by ourselves and things that are unknown by ourselves. And then that that sort of matrix ends up having these four boxes. And the boxes are known as open, blind, hidden, and unknown. And sometimes they've got other names, but those are the general ones. So the top left box of a grid, which is things that are known by yourself and things that are known by others, are, is known as the open box. And this is stuff that's out there in the open. It's, it's sort of personality traits and behaviors and thoughts and, and expressions of yourself as an individual that you know and are aware of and that others can see and that they're aware of as well. So that's the open box. Then if we go on from there, if we move over to the right, we get to the blind box. And what this is, is this is things that you as an individual are blind to, which are aspects of who you are, which, you know, were you more self-aware, you'd probably know. So these are things that others know about you and can see, but that you as yourself don't know. Sometimes things like, uh, phrases like blind spots might be used to refer to this type of thing. So again, things that you as an individual don't know, but others do know. Then if we drop down below open, we get a box called hidden. So the window pane here is hidden. And this is things that you know about yourself, but that you don't reveal to the world. So they are unknown to others. So these could be, you know, thoughts, feelings, ways of working, emotions that you you don't share with the rest of the world. So that's hidden. And then we get to the bottom right box, which is unknown by self and unknown by others. And this uh, pane has 
creatively been called the unknown pain. So that's kind of the outcome of a Jahari window. That's the way it's represented. And the purpose of a Jahari window is to help people see these different areas and to help see, to some extent, how open they are. And some of the premise behind it is that the larger the open pain is, that the more that you know about yourself, that others also know about you, um, the more effective your relationships with others will be and the more transparent you'll be and the better you'll be at building uh, and maintaining relationships. So that's kind of the way the window presents itself. And the way that the Jahari window is used is it's um, used as an activity. There's a set of steps we'll go through in a minute that you can use to build out your own Jahari window. Um, You can do it as an individual or as a group. And then once you've built it out, um, it's a case of trying to to come up with some actions that help you grow that open window. Um, And you grow the open window predominantly by shrinking your blind spots, so learning about yourself uh, and eliminating your blind spots. And also by eliminating the hidden, uh, sorry, by reducing the hidden pain, by revealing more about yourself and being more transparent with others. And as you reduce the blind pain and as you reduce the hidden pain, you grow the open pain, and, and in doing so, uh, you become more self-aware, you become more uh, open with others, and, and you're in a better position to build relationships. So a quick activity that you can do to, to create your own Johari window, as I said, as an individual, or you can do this as a group exercise, um, is the following. So I've pulled out six steps you can do. Firstly, as an individual, you want to identify people to go to to ask them for feedback on you as an individual. So you're going to identify a list of people that you want to work with on this. Then what you'll do is you'll find somewhere a list of 56 words that are used as uh, descriptors of individuals. So these are, um, you know, a list of 56 Jahari words. You'll be able to find them various different places. And what you'll do is you'll, you'll get those um, and you will then sit down and you'll look through that list of 56 and you'll pull out for yourself maybe the five to 10 words that you think describe you best. And you'll capture those and you'll know what those are. Then you'll go out to the, the people that you've identified to get feedback from, and you'll ask each of them to do the same. You'll say, sorry, can you take 10 minutes to read through this list and pick out the five to 10 words that you think describe me uh, the most? And at that stage, what you'll have is you'll have your own reflection of who you are and how you present, and you'll have feedback from others on who you are and how you present. What you'll then do is you'll take those sets of data and you'll plot them. And what you'll do is you'll say, well, all the words that you use to describe yourself and that others use, that kind of goes into your open pain. So let's put those words in there and see what that open pain looks like and the size of that. Then all the words that others use to describe you that you don't use to describe to yourself, let's put that in the blind pain. And that'll give you an insight into some of your blind spots. Then you take all the words that you've used to describe yourself but that others haven't used and we'll put those in the hidden pain. And fundamentally, the relationship and the size of those different boxes will give you an insight into... Um, the, you know, the relative sizes of the different Jahari pains that you have in your Jahari window. And once you've done that, you can start to, to reflect on the outcomes. You can see how open and transparent you are. And then you can come up with plans for how you can address it. So, you know, having seen your Jahari window, the next questions are, what can you do to reduce the size of your blind spots? What can you do to reduce the size of your hidden spots? And you can come up with a, a bit of a personal development plan, which is something we'll talk about later. Um, And then ultimately, if you've done this, you can then share the window with others and share your plan with others as a bit of a way to pre-commit to to growing your open window and becoming more transparent and self-aware. And yeah, and I guess that's kind of a Jahari window. Have you used it before, Jen? No, I haven't. I came across it when I was uh, when we were researching the series, um, but I haven't actually used it myself. Um, 
And I think I was sorry. I was, I was I, while I was listening, I was googling and also trying to do the activity. So okay. just, I, it's, it's, I think it's really interesting. We should do it at some point. Yeah, I think um, I'm always eager for a different perspective on how I can think about where my blind spots are yeah. or where there are things that I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I can't really comment on how successful it is, but I, I like it mm-hmm. as a tool. And I would like to use it more. And I think I'm already thinking about people that I work with that I'd like to try it with. So in my old work, I've used it several times within my team when I've had a team. Um, And it's a bit of a, you know, you need the right type of people to be willing to do it. But when we've done it, we've actually done it as a group exercise. Wow. We'll get together in a room Mm. and we'll say like, you know, we've got all these words. Why don't we take 10 minutes? We'll do our feedback on ourselves and we'll all do feedback on everybody else. And we actually kind of did it as post-it notes because, you know, that's what type of team it was. We love a post-it note. So Everyone we, loves yeah. a post-it note. So we do it, and then each of us at the end of that exercise would have our set of post-it notes up there on the Jahari piece. Um, so everyone would write their post-it notes about us. We'd gather in all our post-it notes, and we'd put it up there. Um, and my experience is that it's fairly helpful. You know, you do get an insight. Um, of course, it's not perfect, right? These things are never perfect. And if you do the same thing with different people at different points in time, you'll get slightly different answers. But you'll still get a sense as to the scale of your hidden or your blind or your open areas. And that's fairly helpful. Um, so we found it a useful exercise. It's, it's a great different way to, to bring in things about feedback as well. You know, it's just a useful tool in lots of ways. Um, but as I said, it's got to be for the right people. Yeah, and I think, I guess the caveat, and I know we'll get on to top tips and stuff like that, is but you can't push people into self-awareness. Totally. You can't push people into totally. wanting self-awareness and you really shouldn't because they might not be ready. Yeah. And I know that sounds quite, I don't know, grandiose or something, but mm. it's it's not, it's a choice, right? Yeah. It's a choice and you, it's not all great. Like mm-hmm. you don't realise, you know, you don't come out of thinking about self-awareness and yourself and what you're good and bad at and go away going, hey, it's exactly what I thought. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, you're probably doing it wrong Yeah, if yeah. that's the case. And, and one of the things that's, I think, true about things like personal or leadership development programs that bring this stuff in is that you, you need to understand the, the groups that you're working with. And if you want to get to this stage, you might have to go through earlier stages that open people up and get that, that people are comfortable with. And it might take you six months or a year to get to a stage where people are comfortable and actually engage and do this stuff well. And yeah. some might never get there. Yeah, and it's not it's not the sort of thing that... You need to have a decent relationship with people yeah. to be able to do this exercise. Mm-hmm. Together. It's interesting you said group. I hadn't... I guess um, I'd imagine doing it within a coaching environment or a line management environment rather than a group environment. I don't really know why. But yeah. um, I guess we've... we I've done things like values work as a group and this just feels, for some of the people I've worked with, mm-hmm. it would feel very intimate. Yeah, and it it's absolutely is intimate. Yeah. So it just depends on the group. But, it, you know, if it's the right type of group, some of the yeah, benefits absolutely. are, you know, a further increase in that intimacy and transparency, um, particularly if it's a, a well-established group already. Mm. Anyway. Interesting stuff. Yeah, interesting. So that's for Johari Window. I, it's, it's quite old. It's like the 50s or something like that. I, I wish I had an actual number because I probably regret saying we're 50s now. I think it was like 56 or something like that. Mm. Um, I will check while you talk yeah, about Yeah, you can check and then correct me. Well, you can talk about my favorite subject. <laughs> okay. Um, so now we're going to talk about Jane. No, I'm just kidding. Um, now what we're going to do is talk about a little side, side piece that we've put in, which we think is interesting. Uh, in my mind, I've kind of named this the tyranny of narrative. Um, which I guess it's maybe because we're getting to the end of Game of Thrones or something like that. I don't know. Um, 
But but what I want to talk about in relation to self-awareness here is something that I'm in no way an expert of, uh, or in relation to, but that I've listened to some things on and read a little bit on, but I think it's fascinating, which is around narrative identity. Um, and what narrative identity theory says, really, is that individuals, all of us, we're kind of sense-making beings. You know, humans love to make sense of things, and we love to put together potentially random facts or stories or, or whatever it is into a narrative that we can relate to. And what that means is that we take our life events um, and we create characters and grow characters and give them characteristics and scenes take on importance and there are narrative threads and arcs that run through our life that, that we create and we, we build as plot lines into the events that take place all around us. Right? So, so we're always making sense of things and, and assuming that things are connected and related and that there's a story through our lives. Um, and one of the things that's a result of this is that we can do the same as a projection into the future. Right? So, so we can have a story about our past and we know how stories like this turn out. And what that means is that people like me or people like Jane or whoever it is, you know, whoever... Um, we're working with or, or um, you know, spending time with, we can put narratives onto them that in our mind we project into the future and almost create predestinies for people and expectations for them, right? So the narratives that we use about ourselves create self-awareness for ourselves at the moment, but they also are used to project into the future. And now the thing is that really these narratives are just about our efforts to rationalize the world around us. But we turn them into something much more than the potentially disparate facts that they are and, and really create something from them that creates destiny. And by creating that destiny, we create, I, I guess, a pull towards the future, right? So I guess an example of this, if we take a negative one, would say, you know, my story is that um, I've always had a hard life. I've never been good enough academically to get to where I want to get to. And that's just the way I am. And because I'm the type of person that's never really been good enough, I've always been like, you know, the almost ran in things. And what that means is that, you know, whatever I do, there's always going to be somebody who pips me to the post and gets there before me. And so, you know, because of that, I'm never going to get that job because I'm not really worth getting that job because I am, you know, I'm just that second best. And I've seen that story. And we know that the person who's second best always finishes a bit second best and never quite gets to where they want to. Right? So if that's the narrative that I bring to myself and that's the story and I project that into the future, then that means in the future I'll never get there either. And then by creating this sort of narrative, you can become a bit beholden to that narrative. Right? And as I said, I'm not an expert in it, but, but you, you can hear stories of people like this in really fascinating places. Um, people, if you look at people who are maybe uh, ex-prisoners or substance abuse people, the whole stories of their lives are wrapped up in these narratives that mean that they know what the future holds. And maybe the future holds reoffending because that is who they are. Or maybe the future holds uh, relapse to substance abuse because that is who they are. right? And so the power of these narrative identities make it hard for people to change. Um, so from a behavior change perspective, it's difficult. But also from a self-awareness piece, it's important to try and step back and understand that we create these narratives, but that to some extent these narratives can have power and control over us. And they may be different from our real selves as well. So what do you think about that garbled explanation of what I'm trying to say here? Uh, I don't think it was garbled. Nothing, nothing you do is ever no, garbled. No, it feels James. garbled. Uh, I think I disagree in the negative framing. I think that is one 
challenge with it is mm-hmm. that it can be very limiting. Mm-hmm. However, I would argue that my understanding of narratives mm-hmm. within my own life and where I've worked with others, their understanding of narratives has allowed them to take control of that narrative. Great. And I think when you rewrite your own stories, it sounds very... I know there's loads of people listening going, oh my God, what is she talking about? Rewriting your own story. But when... I was, I was talking to someone yesterday. I had a friend coming up and visit me and we were talking about our lives. And she she flippantly said, uh, oh, you're so lucky. Because we were up a hill, it was sunny, I had a dog. It was lovely, Right. And she, she just sort of flippantly said, oh, you're so lucky. And I said, I don't, I don't feel lucky. I feel like I've made decisions to get here. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, cards have fallen well. But, but though that has been driven by a number of choices that could have gone either way and they've gone this way. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's really important. That's a really important... And it sounds like I'm being like, look at me. It's not. It's about... Uh, I always felt like I was passive in my life and I always felt like I was a, a I wasn't like the main player. Yeah. So people talk about that loads when they're in yeah, a movie yeah, yeah. and they're not the main person and you're suddenly yeah, yeah. looking at your life going, I'm not even the star of yeah, my yeah. own movie. I'm the supporting actress in my yeah. own life. How did yeah. that happen? That's that's not good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and so, and so I started <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um always a speaking yeah. part. And then uh and, and I so so for me there's a really big part of of Choosing to correct people, and it sounds, it sounds horrible. I, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not how it happens. But choosing to assert my narrative, mm-hmm. such that going back to that bit of how do people observe you and how yeah. do people see you and take you, um, having some some role in shaping that with people and totally. saying no, 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 you've got it wrong. It might look like that to you, and actually, you know, to be fair to her, she turned around and went, no, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. mean, you've you you you've seemed to have just broken away from what you were. Mm-hmm what your expected end point yeah, was and you've yeah, chosen yeah. another end point. I was like, yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. what I've done for better or worse. That's yeah. what I've done. And I think taking control of that narrative is really important totally. um, for achieving what you might want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd so agree. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd call it the tyranny of narrative, the power of narrative maybe. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I, I chose the word tyranny because I think if you're not aware of it, it can control you. I would agree with that. Um, and, and I'm slightly being argumentative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can be argumentative says. about it. I just kind of liked the phrase. I don't even know where I got it from. I think I got it from um, a program that was called something like the tyranny of story that I quite liked. Yeah, yeah. That makes um, no. It, it, to- it totally makes sense. Cool. So anyway, narrative identity is fun. It's probably something we should have touched on when we looked at behavior change because it's yeah, it's funny. Conflict. I came up and I remember coming away from that thinking, oh, we should talk about that. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's here now. Um, and from a self-awareness perspective, it's important because it's important to understand the narratives and stories that you've created to support your own life um, and what that means to you. And, and, you know, again, like so many of these things, if you can step back and be aware of the, the framings that you bring to stuff, it'll give you a better understanding of who you really are underneath all of that. And it'll provide a tool that'll help you change a little bit. Um, And then I guess just to close off this conversation on self-awareness or the research roundup on self-awareness, I wanted to bring in a quote that I really like. And it's from a guy called Charles Horton Cooley, which is a pretty cool name, American sociologist. He was like late um, 1890s, early 20th century. And his quote's a bit kind of complicated or a bit convoluted, but it's lovely. And so his quote says, I am not who you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am, right? And that sounds a bit gobbledygook. But, but what he's really getting at is he's saying that when we're working with others or engaging with others, we bring our own self-awareness and sense of identity to that conversation. 
but we know that the other person brings an understanding of who we are to that conversation as well. And the fact that we know that they've got a sense of who we are uh, affects the way that we, are, we see ourselves in that conversation. So, for example, when I'm in a situation where I'm working with Jane, I can have my own identity, she can have her own perception of who I am. But in that conversation, I kind of behave, to some extent, as who I think Jane thinks I am. So that the, the way that we project onto other people an assessment of ourselves as individuals frames the way that we relate with other people. So why is this important for self-awareness? I think it's, it's very important because it, it gets into some of that piece around change and development of self-awareness and, and becoming who you want to be through um, understanding and growing and, and challenging some of your um, self-awareness. So specifically what I mean by this is that if we're going to develop as individuals and, and redefine a sense of who we are to some extent based on our understanding of self-awareness, we need to not only change ourselves, but we need to some extent to change the way that we think others think about us, right? So if we go back to my narrative piece, if my narrative was I was always not good enough, then what this might mean is that I think that when I'm working with Jane, she's always thinking, you know what, James, you're just never really going to be good enough. And if I think that that's how she's thinking of me, then to some extent, I'll fall into the trap of being that person in my relationship with Jane. So to change, I need to not only change my narrative, but I also need to change the way that I think Jane thinks about me. How's that for Laird statements? Uh, I love the quote. I, it, it, it always mind, bends my mind a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think it's onto something. I don't think, uh, I don't know that it's as powerful as, like, I, I don't think that that's the only thing that defines who we are is how we've, how we perceive someone else sees us, but I think it impacts it. Yeah. And I think, uh, particularly, I think it works very well with higher expectations. So if someone has higher expectations or opinions of you, you don't want to let them down. Totally. Um, and sometimes you will de- do things to the detriment of your own life because you don't want to let people down because they have a mm. perception of who you are and what you can do. Mm-hmm. Have you heard uh, of it, like the, the Pygmalion and Golem effect is the phrases for describing uh, it? I've heard the Pygmalion effect, yeah. I think. I think that, like, uh, you know, like a lot of these unrepeatable psychology experiments, it's basically saying, you know, in a school, if you project having high expectations of your pupils, they will overachieve. Whereas if you have negative expectations of your pupils, they will underachieve. Oh, it's like the Michelle Pfeiffer film where she's, she gives all her class an A at the beginning. And oh, yeah. All you've got to do is keep the A. Yeah. When in doubt... Check out what was it called? Like, um, oh, what was that called? It had Coolio in it, didn't it? Did it have Coolio in it? Or he did the soundtrack, is that right? He that did, that yeah, sounds yeah. more like it. Yeah, I'm uh, sure I can remember oh, it. Dangerous Minds was it? Dan- was it? No, no. Uh, I'll find it. Yeah, okay. It's a okay. good film. Yeah, it was. A good I mean, film. It, well, I mean, it's, clearly a memorable film, and not to. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, anyway. Uh, yeah. Anyway. As but I, it is no. It stuck with me that film because I think I've. Oh, it's Dangerous Minds. Yeah. I think it was Dangerous Minds. She was a teacher. Yeah. And anyway, it's pretty rough. Anyway, so good stuff in there. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a quote. It's kind of interesting, and it, it's it's pleasant to say, and it's a nice, nice quote. But that's kind of the wrap up of my research roundup. Wrap up of a research roundup. Wrap up of the research roundup. Yeah, inspired by Coolio, he had a little. So hopefully, that's quite a a practical research roundup for people to be able to go away and utilize. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a range of stuff in there. I mean, Johari Window is something you can absolutely take away and do. There's some advice on developing self-awareness as well which is hopefully useful cool should we move on to list of the week yeah do you want to take us through a list of the week sure so this is 10 starter questions that may help develop your self-awareness things you can ask yourself um when we say things like things that you can ask yourself uh, don't do it on the bus 
to start with. Um, I mean, you might get good at it and eventually be able to do it on the bus, but do it somewhere quiet, have yeah. a notebook or a computer. Ideally a notebook, actually. Yeah. And, and just jot stuff down, even if it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and be quite structured about it. I always find it's really a good idea to leave yourself with a question for a couple of minutes, even if you can't think yeah. what to say. Yeah, you might even come back the next day with some of yeah. the stuff I found. But, but don't just give up. Like, don't go, oh, I don't know what this is, and give up, because that's half the point, right? You're meant to be thinking. Yeah. Uh, so, 10 questions. Uh, what am I good at? And I would add to that, what am I good at? And what do I think other people think I'm good at? And what do people seem to suggest I'm good at or say I'm good at? What am I bad at? Um, and again, is that just me that thinks I'm bad at it? Is it stuff that uh, I've been around a long time? Have I always been bad at it? Or is it a recent thing? Always, all these things help, right? Uh, what activities and which people make me happy or are around when I am happy? So quite often things don't make you happy, but it is, it is not a coincidence that the same people seem to be in the room when you're at your happiest, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's really important. Uh, and slightly different but similar, what activities and which people energize me? And I think that's really important. I think you, everyone needs people that kind of boost how they feel about stuff. Uh, what activities in which people make me angry or frustrated or irritated? Those are all excellent examples of that question. Um, or fearful. Um, I think one of the really ir- interesting things for me, and I, 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 I'm not suggesting it's a women-only thing, I just don't know if it's the same for men, is there are certain people that make me uncomfortable. Mm. For no reason of theirs. Yeah. It's nothing to do with... The, well, it must be something to do with them, but it's not them doing anything wrong yeah. it's about me responding to something in my past that i've had someone of a similar character and it's kind of affected me Do you know, does that make sense yeah, so um sense, i think yeah. that's a really good one you know make you angry or also fearful what activities leave me feeling content pleased and at peace with myself um how do i want to be treated by others and how do i want to treat others number eight what behaviors do i think are unacceptable number nine who are i role models why are they my role models? And I always say they can be living, dead or fictional. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't yeah, matter yeah, as long as you understand why. And finally, number 10, how do I want to be remembered by others when I'm older? I know some people do epitaph writing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've done that a couple of times and I find it like it's creepy at first. But yeah. actually, if you can put aside what you're doing, which is writing about what's going on a gravestone or in a, mm-hmm. you know, a funeral... It's actually a really interesting process. It is, isn't it? It's really good for getting perspective. It's really good for getting perspective about where you are in your life versus where you want to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Don't sweat the small stuff. That's what it's really helpful for. Yeah. So um, that's 10 questions that we think are useful starting points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with all of these things, it's about how many times you go back and think about it again and again and again and what changes and reviewing it. And I think all of those things are helpful. Um, I think how I want to be treated by others and how do I want to treat others is really important. Yeah. I think, um, and I know I I rushed over them because there's 10, but um, if I was to pick out one, it would be the one that I think helps people the most think about things because how do you want to be treated in detail will give you a huge amount of insight into your own values um, and you're also able to think about all the people around you then very easily because you think, hang on, do they 
Do I feel like that's how mm. I'm treated by those people? And is that why I want to be treated like that? Because there are people that I love that treat me like that and that makes me feel good and therefore that's how I want to be treated. Um, but I think it's probably one of the easy entry-level questions as well, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really easy one to get yeah. in on. Some yeah. of the other ones are a little, something like what am I good at can be very difficult if you've never yeah. thought about this stuff before. Yeah, it is. Cool. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. I think it's... Um, Any favourites? Um, I kind of like... Sometimes I kind of like the sort of inverse ones on this. So I think sometimes people find it hard to think about the sort of positive aspect of things and say, you know, what do I think is good? How do I want to be? So I think some of the questions that flip it on its head are kind of good. So I kind of like the what behaviors do I think are unacceptable? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can identify some of the opposites, then you can get clarity over yourself. So I think that opportunity to invert stuff is helpful. So I'd probably call that one out. I mean, I like the one you did as well, but I think that inverted one's quite good for me. Um, so, yeah, I guess maybe focus on some of those ones. Okay. Cool. So where are we going now? That's our list of the week. Yeah, list So of the week. normally we go towards stories from the keyboard. Yeah. Real life situations. Do you want to Self start off? Or oh, do you want God. me to do one? I feel like this is ripping off a band-aid. You go first. All right. So I can do a couple little bits. So um, one of the things that we used to do in my old work, uh, in the, the team that I had, is we did a lot of stuff on feedback. Um, and trying to, you know, we did sort of live open feedback with multiple people in the room and stuff like that and various things like that. And it's, it's hard to get to the stage where you can really get good feedback from people. But I've had a couple messages that came out that really stuck with me for a range of reasons. And I guess those activities are hard, but they can be really powerful. And one of the messages I got um, that stuck with me is that I didn't share enough of myself for the people that were in my team. So people felt that they couldn't really know me as much as they wanted to, and I was a bit, um, I guess, unclear or impersonal or, or whatever, you know, unintimate, whatever these phrases are. Um, and I remember getting that feedback, and, and you know when you get feedback and it kind of actually knocks you, and it is a bit of a blind spot. You know, it really was almost that blind window within a Jahari's window for me. I thought I was being fairly open, um, but clearly I wasn't. And... It, it felt uncomfortable to get the message. I didn't like it. It took me a little while to deal with it. Um, but over time, I tried to change as a result, and it, it was helpful. So I guess that's, that's a kind of a, a real-life example of something I went through, and it, it is uncomfortable. Um, but it was good in the long run, and it helped my self-awareness. And yeah, and so I've tried to be different as a result. But regardless of how successful I've been at being different, I'm certainly more self-aware as a result of that. Um, and I think that's been useful for me. What about you? Um, I'd say, uh, there's, it's been quite a, it's been quite a feature in my life. So it's quite hard to know what one thing mm. is, is easiest to explain. But I guess for me, the, it's a personal one rather than a work one. And, uh, I was, I was really rubbish at personal relationships mm -hmm. for a long time really bad at them, really bad at um, pursuing them, really bad at making myself. And I, for a long time, told myself it was because I wasn't the right sort of person that people would want to be in a relationship with. Sounds like a narrative there to me. Yeah, oh yeah, it was. I was trying to avoid the word narrative, but it totally was. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, there were, there were reasons that I decided that, but it was only when I started, actually, when it all went wrong and when I got, I, I had a bit of a rough time. And I remember one of my friends, a really good friend of mine, saying to me, um, you're different now, after I had a bit of a, a falling out with someone. And uh, she said, you're, my friend said, you're different now. And I said, what? And she goes, you're not, you're not, you used to be like bulletproof. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. And she went, no, 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 no. 
she was like, you would have to literally have blown a bomb off to get through to you. You had such a shell on you about... Yeah. How, and you were friendly and everyone loved you, but there was absolutely no getting close to you. Yeah. And, you you know, we all had to be friends with you on your terms. And I, I honestly, I had no idea. I thought yeah. I was the most open, loving person ever. And they were like, yeah, on your terms. Yeah. But but no one was allowed near. Not not really near. Yeah. Not yeah, Not yeah, near yeah. enough to know that you were hurt or yeah. sad yeah, or... Yeah, yeah. Any of that stuff. And it was, and she's someone I really trust. And uh, I remember her telling me, and it was like, it was like blinkers just came off. Yeah. Like instantly I could see the world differently. Yeah. Instantly. And I think I la- building a relationship where someone felt comfortable saying that to me was really important because I wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. I would have no idea that that was why a large part of what had shaped the sort of first, I don't know, decade of personal relationships yeah. I would say was just I mean no one and she was like no one gets near you no one you know you're you're funny or witty or sarcastic or you make them look small or you know you are just it's the defenses are up and it's like a game of thrones war yeah the second game of thrones yeah, reference yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. but it is and I I just didn't remember it like that I remember feeling vulnerable and hurt and scared yeah and but so that idea so of that idea of the quote that you were talking about you know it's mm. not how you see you, it's not how I see me, it's about how I think you see me. And if I think you see me as weak and vulnerable and, and, and lesser, yeah. it, it doesn't matter what you see me as, that's what I'm feeling. And yeah, therefore yeah, I yeah. have to understand that that is different from what you might see me as. Yeah. And I think that's massively important. Yeah, that sounds like a real development that you went through. One of the many, James, One of the many. And that I continually <laughs> go through to just aim to be even a little bit less rubbish than I am. So on that, I'm going to jump straight to my top tip and see Go if I on. get there before you, which is this stuff never ends. So a top tip, <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, it's like a refining process that goes on and on. And I've tried to develop my self-awareness um, over the years, and I, and I think it just keeps on going, right? It does. And I guess I change. It's trying to, you know, nail down water or something, right? But um, I think, it, you know, knowing that it always changes and just doing a little bit gradually, doing, you know, a little bit... Uh, in increments and iterating through and just trying to learn and grow and develop a little bit at a time um, is the way I'd suggest trying to focus on this stuff. So I guess that's my top tip is just, you know, know it always changes. There's no final uh, final definition of who you are. It's just a moment in time. And Can I have two? It. Yeah, of course. Go for my it. top tip is sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's fun, yeah. One of them. Um, and I would encourage people not to be scared of it. Mm-hmm. Like learning about yourself and building an understanding of how people see you is, is, is it can be a bit scary. But, yeah, definitely. But it's blinking brilliant when you can start to laugh about yourself yeah, and people yeah, yeah, recognize, yeah, yeah, yeah. laugh about the personal stuff that is real and it doesn't feel like you're, you're, you're being like very British and like, oh, laughing at yourself, yeah, but in yeah, a faux yeah. way. It's real it's and real, it's, yeah, I'm yeah. not perfect and yeah. these are the things I laugh about because, I, you know, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny that it I get this funny, wrong. Right? It and it's only funny when you can do it with someone. So one is, yeah. one is like, it's okay. It's sometimes fun. And the other one is, and it's a very specific one. When you start to do this, if you are at all negative about yourself, you will quite often look for the negative feedback. You That's will true. seek out only negative, and I'm not saying I'm not saying only seek out positive by any stretch. But please, please don't do what. Oh God, I reckon half the people I coach do, which is dismiss all Humans, the positive yeah. feedback and only tell me with delight where someone has confirmed a positive, a negative belief yeah, they have yeah, about yeah. themselves. I'm surprised it's only fifty percent. It's probably loads more. I'm just trying to be generous to people yeah. who don't think. Oh, that's not me. Um, 
don't do it. Just don't do it. Please don't do it. Because it's... I, I, and I speak to someone who does it all the time and has to really manage it. Don't do it. It's yeah. really harmful to choose to only seek out negative confirmation of who you are. Um, totally. And it will build a negative narrative. Whereas if you try and seek it out and balanced, And I, the easiest way to think about it, right? None of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. You're not a bad person, right? Yeah. At heart, yeah, yeah. you're not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. The person listening is not a bad person. So if you go into it with everything, like I'm probably a bit of, a bit of you know, just like most of us, probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. It's a much easier because you can assume there's good things and bad things. Yeah. Um, and also... People love giving good feedback. They like giving bad feedback. Yeah. But they love giving good feedback. So if there's something positive about you that someone wants to share, that's amazing. It's great, yeah. Oh, that's a nice, nice, uh, nice message there. So I guess that's our top tips, isn't it? We've had three for the price of two. Yeah, sorry, that's me. That's good, no. Getting over excited again. Right. So that's pretty much us, then. Another episode done. I think it's just time to say goodbye. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.